1: You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson, and me, Ian Morris. Happy New Year, my friend. Oh, thank you. Uh, Happy New Year to you too. Uh, let's hope it's better than the last one. It's been a trying year. Let's say, let's say that it's been difficult. It's been crap. Let's descend into depravity. It's been crap. That's how the year has been. But this is a new year, and to start the new year with this somewhat special episode of Text Message, we're joined by special guest from CNET.com, Mr. Andrew Hoyle. Hello there. Who's absolutely not three feet away from me in real in real life. Um, Andy, in two words, can you sum up last year, please? Basically lame. <laughs> did you have a, a nice happy new year, though? I had a wonderful new year, thank
2: you. Yes, did you both? Yeah, it was all right. I mean, I stayed in and sort of didn't do anything except play a video game
1: well we hope from here from our aortic pumps our hearts uh, at text message that this year is significantly better than the last and we're going to start off by looking at some positive things that happened in the technology world over the last 12 months things that stories that we talked about that made us very excited that that took our hearts and warmed them to a few degrees uh, extra on that day and we want to see from these stories if we can be more hopeful about what they will mean for 2017. And we've got some great stories that we've discussed throughout the year to get to again here on this show. And I'm going to start by talking about ad blocking. Now, one thing that we did talk about in quite a lot of detail last year was mobile phone companies. And three was one such company that tried to implement ad blocking at the network level. It did this in February. In fact, it didn't. We started talking about it in February on episode 48 and they ran a trial and they decided that the trial was actually quite successful, but they are not going to implement ad blocking next year. Ian, what do you think of, uh, of ad blocking?
2: I think that it's fine when a consumer decides to do it themselves. Uh, I think that's everyone's right, although I don't agree with it because obviously we have to pay our bills somehow. Uh, But at the same time, I don't see that there's any reason that a network provider would have any reason to block ads on anyone's behalf. I just don't think that's acceptable.
1: Well, I missed the story originally in November from Marketing Week that had said that 3.0 was moving away from ad blocking after it, quote, pissed Google off and, quote, received threats from brands for its approach to to mobile advertising. Uh, And that's not a surprise, is it? No, Tom Malischitz, or Malischitz, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his name, uh, but he's a chief marketing officer at Three. We're speaking at an event in November in London and said that the the ad blocking tests were very successful. About 86% of customers said they were satisfied, but it's not the solution to the mobile ad problem. So it seems at the trial that we were quite, critical of this year, um, is not going to translate next year into a full-blown ad blocking mobile approach. Andy, what's your final thought on this? Uh, I think that is good. I don't think ad blocking is the right
0: solution. I agree that a lot of ads, particularly mobile ads, when it takes your data, um, they are quite intrusive and they're basically a pain in the ass, but simply blocking them isn't the solution um, at all there because, as you say, that's how companies make their money.
1: Yeah. And I think that th- really the solution is is better ads and that's one of the things that 3 has learned. So my hope is that maybe in 2017 with with mobile networks thinking about what could make a better ad on their platform and maybe promoting the usage of whatever better approach they come up with, we could at least maybe see a small change in the 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 mobile advertising experience. In 2017, Ian, would you say that's...
2: Yeah, I mean, I uh, yeah, exactly. I think that, um, you know, we're we're getting faster and faster speeds, 4G's picking up. I noticed that uh, Qualcomm's uh, leaked that it's got its first gigabit LTE modem and going into phones this year. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, everything's going to get better on mobile. And, I mean, I'm sure we can work our way around the ad blocking, you know, and, and big malicious ads problem.
1: Well, story two that we came to this year, this is something we first talked about in July in episode 66. Um, Amazon got permission to test delivery drones in the UK's skies, and this is something they are pioneering out of Cambridge. The research lab for, for Amazon Prime Air is in is in Cambridge. And they've done at least one public relations stunt in December to show a delivery getting to a real customer, though conveniently placed cameras at the customer's house suggest that was very much prepped as a bit of a stunt. So we didn't bother talking about that. But the fact is, there's a lot of money and effort and time and and smart minds thinking about this problem and going into solving this problem. And... The question is: Is it a problem that it currently takes a, a whole day to get a delivery? <laughs> a whole day. <laughs> I,
0: I see this as a, a step forward in things like um, medical use. Um, I think delivering uh, same day or you know within within minutes uh, organs, blood across, particularly across cities like London, where there's so much traffic that getting organs within minutes from one hospital to another is extremely difficult. So I think drones for that sort of thing is great, and certainly the the money being spent by companies like Amazon is going to help fund research into these drones for medical use.
1: How many people do you think are going to order a new heart on Amazon Prime? Well, uh, the wrong sort of people. But but
0: one for sale used. Once Amazon has made this technology um, really workable, then that's when other other firms and particularly you know companies like the NHS and stuff could start picking this up and using it for for genuine applications certainly in the short term does it mean that you can order a new CD and have it within the hour yeah great fair enough but it's not really a massive step forward for the consumer is it when well, you can already get it next day
2: i note with interest that amazon has also now got a patent on airships which it proposes will be the launch platform for drones so basically Certain select items will be stocked in airship warehouses, and this sounds like a load of nonsense. But I'm assured that like serious publications have written this up, um, and and these airships will launch drones, which will descend to houses and deliver products. Um, I, I mean, I remain somewhat sceptical about it, but at the same time, I can see there's a lot of real advantages to getting delivery drivers and delivery trucks off the roads. It's uh, you know, we can free up some traffic, we can reduce emissions be a really good idea so if they can do it yeah great um
0: can, can i just check in do you mean that there's the, the the plan would be that there's going to be a massive amazon warehouse permanently hovering in the sky and then when someone orders something it just drops down via drone to their house that is basically the idea i think
2: i suspect what will probably happen is that the airships will um sort of they will have a schedule i guess um and so amazon will sort of you know they'll be able to say to you well all right you're the 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 airship will be near you for this time. I,
1: I have no idea. It, the whole thing is ridiculous. I, I, think, I think the more realistic way of this working is that Amazon knows what sort of products yeah. get ordered in what sort of vicinity at what sort of time of year. And so, for example, if there is something like the Olympics on and people are ordering SD cards and batteries for their camera, then maybe that type of product could be hovered locally to that area maybe that's around events and that's something they could they could do
2: I, su- I suspect that groceries might form a part of this you know things like i need toilet rolls and i'm on the toilet right now please send <laughs> do you want a bit of uh, amazon trivia as well about this year 2017 it's the year it's uh one click patent expires wow what does that mean yeah so it will no longer work it'll mean that it won't it will no longer be able to say to other companies you can't do one-click ordering. It's the most ridiculous patent since someone tried to paint toast in the early 2000s. Patent toast. No, and, and, well, you know what? It's it, it's not valid in Europe, but um, it is in the US, and uh, Apple pays for it.
1: Well, let's stay on the topic of airships. There's a reason that these two stories are together. I invited... Andy, to bring us a story that he was very excited about, but didn't necessarily have to be deeply rooted in in the UK. But you've come up with something that's both in the UK... And global, and you're excited about it. I am excited about this. Um, so on the airship uh, front,
0: uh, this year we saw um, Airlander 10 take flight. Now, Airlander 10 is the world's biggest airship, and you might have seen it in the news because, let's be honest, it looks like a giant flying buttocks. <laughs> so this is this is this is a giant um, airship. It's, it's world's biggest, and it did a full flight of its airfield um, uh, down somewhere in Bedfordshire. I think the airship is um, it's not designed for passengers at any point. I think the idea. Is that this will be for cargo? So actually, this may be exactly the sort of technology that Amazon's looking into for its massive warehouses, Ian. That you're that you're so excited about.
2: Yeah, I mean, that, and that's that would be quite amazing. It? I mean, if you think about it, it does sort of make a lot of sense. I mean, I, I guess that the, the Amazon's plan would be that it would restock the warehouse via drone as well. So basically, you put these things in the air and they they don't need to come back down again, which means that you can make them very efficient. They can be gas filled uh, so that you're not actually paying huge amounts of money either to have them in the air or to move them around. Uh, uh, Hell, you could even probably solar power them. Well,
1: funny you should say that, Ian, because I know there's a second part to Andy's excitement with this story.
0: Yes, well, part two is that talking about general uh, technology flying. This was the year where we saw the Solar Impulse plane. This is the first completely solar-powered uh, plane do a full lap of the earth, so it's about 40,000 kilometres this plane travelled, which I know this isn't a UK story, which is what normally um, you like to focus on on this show, but I just thought it's so important um, that we're starting to look towards alternative fuels for aircraft, and in covering, uh, covering 40,000 kilometres, not a single fossil was burned by this plane, which I think is,
1: is really quite an achievement. Right, let's talk about broadband. It's a topic we've covered in great detail throughout this year. One of the things that rose in, I think, around the springtime, around the time of the Queen's speech, in fact, was the government, the the then government, promising as part of the digital economy bill, everyone in Britain getting access to at least 10 megabit per second broadband. Now, we got incredibly excited about this because this would cover millions of houses that currently can't get anywhere close to very competitive speeds of broadband, and it would allow people to start to engage with streaming video services that they can't do now, or better uploading to the cloud and usage of cloud systems and everything like that. And then we got a new government, thanks to the Brexit result, and now this is kind of up in the air. And so without wanting to put this on a downer, Ian, what is your view of how likely this 10 megabits per second for all promise might be in
2: 2017?
1: Well, I mean, technically there's nothing standing in the way of it um we've
2: got we've got more than enough technologies around to achieve this it's just a matter of money and making people carry out the work isn't it really i mean I, 10 megabits is deliverable over 4g so in order to get that out to people you just need to make sure you've got good 4g coverage uh, or you pay to put cabling in i mean <clears throat> i don't think it's difficult at all that, that but year after year Promises have been made about a minimum service requirement, and year after year that no one has come anywhere near it in certain rural areas um, and if you 're in one of those areas, then you know you 're probably getting quite cross about it by now,
1: yeah, I mean a couple of things have happened since then and and i we we talked about this story in in, de- in detail in episode fifty eight in May, if anybody wants to look up sort of the nuances of this of this story, but we had highlighted that in two thousand and nine labor uh, had then promised two megabits per second for every home. By 2012 which obviously didn't happen and then cameron scrapped it and uh instead they said they would deliver 24 megabits 24 megabits per second by 2015 which we also missed and so now we're talking about this 10 megabits per second next year or the year after that so there is at least a, a track history of this not being doable by any government but I did notice when I was up home for Christmas in a, a little hamlet called Cowdale in Derbyshire that they have 4G extending out there now, and this is an area that used to barely get any phone signal at all. And at one point, I was on a, I was doing another podcast, video podcast with uh, some other people, and had four simultaneous HD streams via Skype coming into my machine and my own, obviously going out over 4G. It did use nine gig of my monthly data. But it was totally possible in an area that never used to get so much as enough service to use a phone call. So I think that the wireless answer really will be the answer for this this 10 megabits per second, as you say. And maybe we'll hear more of that next year as networks invest better in their infrastructure. Let's stay on the topic of phones a little bit because I know Ian got very excited this year about thinking about the iPhone's 10th anniversary and what this might mean. This is more, a bit more of a global story, but it's something that Ian got excited enough about to write on Forbes. So why don't you take this one away, Ian? What's your, what happened in 2016 with phones that makes you excited about next year, this year's phones?
2: Well, so basically not a lot happened with phones in 2016, which makes me think that we're due a big update. I mean, we all know that Apple wants the 10th anniversary iPhone to be something a bit special. Um, It it probably arguably needs it. It needs needs to get some people rebuying phones and ditching their existing handsets. Um, And I I suppose, although Samsung's not celebrating a big anniversary of the same nature, uh, I, I have a feeling that this year's Note 7 debacle and the sort of, I mean, The S7 is a good phone. uh, You know, very likeable device. The S7 Edge is great. But I think that it needs to do something extra in uh, 2017. And I I wrote this up based on a a relatively loose rumour. But actually, I I wrote it up not because of the rumour, but because of the sort of logical sense, uh, which is that Samsung will remove the physical buttons from its phones um, this year, and it may move the fingerprint scanning home button to the back of the phone, which I don't like the idea of particularly. Um, And instead, it will have uh, software keys, like a lot of Android phones these days do. Uh, but I think that will leave it free to have a very sort of impressive looking device with a screen that goes uh, with, that's curved at the edges and go and extends very far up and down
1: the device, uh, which I think will look. So it's kind of like a kind of like a Galaxy Note Edge, but at the top and bottom rather than just the sides.
2: Yeah. Well, no, I don't think it will be curved at the top and bottom, but I think the screen will extend to fill almost all of the phone,
1: which 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 will make it look very cool. And hopefully won't explode, of course, which is one of the things that, sadly for Samsung, people will be looking at is whether it's the Galaxy S8 or the the, the Note 8, although I think they used to have a product called the Note 8, so they'll probably have to change the brand to separate themselves from that well, actually, product. That's a, that is a really good point, actually.
2: I hadn't even considered that. But I think, to be honest with you, Nate, the Note is dead. I don't think they can really bring it back now. I think they have to move on. Um, and rumors suggest perhaps it'll just be folded in, that, that the Note will be a part of the s eight. So there'll be maybe the S8, the S8 Edge, and an S8 Note replacement, or they may get rid of the flat um, Note, uh, the S8, and go for a curved S8 only, with the Note being the larger phone with the stylus. Uh, How that will pan out in terms of sales, I don't know, but I, I have a
0: feeling that Samsung needs to, you know, really do something interesting this year. Do you think it will do something interesting and exciting, given the the Note 7 fiasco this year? Or do you think because of that and because of the money it's lost, it might try and play it safe and go a little more low-key?
2: I don't think so. I think
0: Samsung's got enough money to do anything it wants
2: to do, really. Um, so I think the best strategy for them would be to go big and make a phone that everyone absolutely really desires, rather than just to do another phone where people are like, I don't know, I could just stick with my, my existing phone. You see, I've got an S6, um, an S6 Edge, and I love that phone, and I don't see any reason particularly to move to an S7. If other people are thinking the same as me, then they're going to see a massive drop-off in phone sales. Um, so I would say something, something impressive with the S8 would be essential.
1: Now, there's a, there'll be a lot of attention focused on Apple, of course, because of the iPhone anniversary. There have been talks of an edge-to-edge screen, of, of moving to an OLED display. They've already got rid of the button on the bottom of the device on the, on the iPhone 7, uh, which is possibly a precursor to getting rid of it entirely and having the button integrated into the software, which is something as a fallback already features, I think, on the iPhone 7. If the button breaks, there's a, there's, there's a virtual button on the screen. It's
2: iOS 10, I believe. It's uh, it's sort of a semi-hidden, but it's an accessibility
1: feature, in fact. Um, uh, you can find it under accessibility tools. Now, it would be very easy to think that that is something they could translate into a primary feature in order to have a single, you know, edgeless design all the way around the phone. Andy, what about features you want to see in the next iPhone? What do you reckon there should be?
0: Um, okay, well, one of the things was uh, waterproofing, but we had that in the iPhone Seven, so I'm I'm struggling to get too excited. And I kind of what I want is a, is a reason to be excited about phones again.
2: I think we're definitely going to see um, an OLED screen come to the iPhone with a probably with a curve. Uh, that's the main reason for going with an OLED, really. I would say because because Apple's screens are really good already. Um, the the only reason to go to an OLED is if there's some really tangible benefit um, and curving is one of those. So perhaps we'll see a curved screen. Uh, that button, the home button is going to go, isn't it? We're just going to have something virtual. And uh, I, I suspect uh, there were rumours about an all glass body, weren't there? Uh, so maybe we'll see some
1: a lighter iPhone because the metal does add a lot of weight, doesn't it? It does. Well, you can take this opportunity to send us an email to podcast at nateslangson.com and hypothesize away about anything that we've talked about so far. And we'll get to those maybe next week, particularly if you've got any views on what features should be in the next phone. That's something that we all care about. We all have a smartphone. You can let us know podcast at nateslangson.com. If you have a phone, of course, you need to connect it to a mobile network, and sometimes the networks aren't very good, uh, or at least some networks aren't good in some areas. And one story we talked about a little more recently in October in episode 73 was the idea put forward by government ministers to essentially kill these so-called knot spots, these areas where certain networks don't have signal, by allowing users to roam onto other UK networks if their own network doesn't have service in a particular area and the part of the argument for this is that if you're somebody overseas coming to the UK uh, you get to roam potentially onto several networks so you actually get great service and the ministers are arguing that that's meaning that we're letting foreigners come to the UK and get a better mobile phone service than we allow ourselves to have and while I don't necessarily think this is something that's going to happen the fact that it was discussed a lot Makes me excited that next year maybe maybe there could be some development in mobile service. Um, whether it's this, we don't know, but it's going to be the year that we have massive changes in roaming. If you're roaming across Europe as of, I think, the 15th of June, you will no longer be charged roaming fees at all. So at least as long as we're part of Europe, um, we won't be charged any roaming fees. So it's going to be... A huge change, like roaming, is going to be one of the big conversations this year, I think, and maybe that will rekindle this kind of local roaming idea uh, again, and, and maybe have that as part of a mainstream conversation. Andy, what's uh, what's your thought on 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 the the year of roaming? Well, I think local roaming would
0: be a brilliant idea, as you say. It would m- immediately mean that everyone has better signal because it's basically the shared infrastructure amongst all the um, among all the the network operators. I don't think it's gonna happen much as it should because as you said like that's that's one of the the, the main features that different companies sell themselves on, isn't it? Uh, EE, oh we've got the biggest, we've got ninety nine percent coverage, or Vodafone's got however this much. So they're just not going to want to drop that and I think that's gonna be um a challenge, but God, they really should do. Ian, are you as excited as I am
1: about the the death of roaming?
2: Um yeah. I mean I, I think roaming is one of the great evils of the world because it's uh it's so difficult It to, is it uh, is
1: up there with murder isn't it and mass global terrorism. Um a bit well I just I just feel that people
2: don't it's it's very difficult to ever understand what you're spending, um, and it, and it's price gouging at the very best uh, you can say about it because basically it doesn't cost eight pounds a megabyte to send data back from America. It costs virtually nothing, uh, and you know mobile providers use it as a co- you know, a way to make money. Uh, and I, I, I obviously they are businesses and they are entitled to do that, but I think that they've taken it too far. And in fact, I think it probably makes them less money. I think they would make more money if they're International roaming fees were fairer because you know they would, uh, people would be more inclined to use it. Uh, we we won't see global roaming reduced in the same way that we will in Europe, uh, because obviously that requires the very special nature of Europe to
1: happen, and uh, I, that doesn't exist elsewhere. But I think but, we could see it but come I down. think the thing to bear in mind is that this is how this often works: is that when you see if we see Europe moving to this zero roaming model. Uh, where country to country they're having to work this out, then that's going to say a lot. That's going to at least put an idea in the minds of international operators to think, well, maybe we should have these sorts of a deals. These deals, maybe not a flat global t- tariff, but but we're seeing we're seeing it already for some networks. I mean, there are some US networks that will inclusively they'll add inclusive roaming when they're outside of the US. We've seen networks in the UK apply that to countries like America or Hong Kong. Like we've seen it done, just not big enough. And maybe this will be an impetus to move that forward globally. I, I would say that, yeah, that that could work, especially if uh, the US operators look at
2: Europe and think, oh, well, we could really benefit from this. If we just grant Europeans access to our networks, you know, in a more inclusive rate, then we would get access to the whole of Europe for our customers. The argument will be about who travels more, I think. And I suspect that Europeans travel more to America than Americans travel to Europe, but I I literally can't back that up.
1: One of the other stories we talked about this year, and we only talked about it very, very briefly uh, in, in one episode that I couldn't even find, which was Ofcom put forward a idea that you should be able to more easily move between networks if you're disappointed with your service so at the moment it can be a hassle you end up paying twice um, if you sign up for a new contract if if you're not at the end of your contract date it's it's a real problem and they put forward uh, a call for responses from networks about the idea of having a more unified system of switching networks for for customers, and many of the major networks didn 't actually bother writing in a few did um, three was one of the the majors that did respond I, I read their response, and it was they were broadly in favor of one of the methods that Ofcom had had suggested um, but it 's another possibility that we could see next year if we don't get something like roaming. Is you know someone like Ofcom or the networks trying to make it easier to move between themselves? The incentive is that they can be as easily moved to as away from, so it's still a level playing field. What do you reckon? In
2: I can see some real sense in that. I, mean, I I don't think it's too bad, honestly. I I I don't feel like it's really hampering anything. I think that there are other industries where it's much worse, uh, but yeah, I, I I'm all for the you know the investment of uh, making things easier for customers also i think that that means uh you get better service because people don't want because you know service providers will be worried that customers will be able to leave
1: easily well for the very last bit of uh, news about phones and mobiles that that we wanted to get to for, for this week it, i just wanted to touch on my excitement which isn't as rude as that just came out <laughs> um uh, about the number of new, very compelling networks that we've had this year. You know, BT Mobile launched last year, but in, in January became part of EE. Uh, we've more recently have had Plusnet launch a very compelling 4G service. We've had Sky Mobile um, opening up its signups for customers with great deals. And um, I'm not sure if they do data rollover, but I think I think they do. Yes, in fact, they do. They have the piggy bank thing where you can roll up for over three years and you've got virgin mobile rolling out 4g plans zero rating facebook messenger and whatsapp and we talked about that in november in episode 74 if you want to hear a bit more about virgin's deal but it just got me very excited this year to look at the number of these small smaller networks launching very compelling services And you signed up to Plusnet, I think, didn't you, Ian? I did, yes, and I've been pretty
2: happy with it so far. I don't, I haven't been able to ascertain whether or not it's slightly capped, you know, uh, speed limited based on my particular use, but um, I I don't have any reason to believe it is. I just haven't spent enough time using it out of my house, excuse me, to really work out whether or not that's the case. Uh, I will do more testing and uh,
1: let everyone know. Andy what's your view on the some of these launches because they've come they've all aimed towards the budget end and they've all had some unique perks either rolling over data or inclusive um, calling plans for for family members and things like that are any of them tickling your Areas um, again without sounding too rude?
0: Value generally is always a good thing and when and four G just is no longer the the pricey premium that it used to be. I remember when EE first launched and it was you get five hundred megabytes of data and it costs you a billion pounds a month and it was it was laughable at how expensive. So it's really it's really great to see it in a relatively short space of time, only only a couple of years really, um, to see four G coming down uh, so cheap and, and certainly more people, more companies like Sky and Plusnet getting involved, then the more competition there'll be. And the more extras, none of the extras really stand out to me. Are but you kidding? Data rollover isn't isn't exciting to you? Not really, because I just have enough data that I use without thinking as much as I need to in the month anyway. Like it doesn't really, it doesn't matter because it's more affordable now. So my plan, I get twenty-five gig of data, and I have no idea how much I use. I don't think it's even close to twenty. Well, but let me the- give,
1: let me throw out little a little reason why I think this could be interesting because it relates to a previous story we've talked about. But with four G becoming uh, becoming much more penetrative into the the countryside, and with the idea of being able to roll over data, but then to be able to use it as your broadband connection, if that data rolled over, that would become a very compelling way of accessing the internet from a from a from a laptop or a
0: computer. So you're suggesting that if you know that next month you want to do a lot of gaming, or then you will not use so much this month, and you'll save five gig, and then put that towards
1: uh, a massive frag session next well, month not really gaming because gaming doesn't take a great deal uh, of right, data well but whatever you know, I, mean in, I mean in general the idea of being able to use 4G as your only internet connection in the country I agree I, I think that that's
0: I think using 4G as your only internet is brilliant and that definitely will be the future but I just but I think that because it is becoming so affordable you won't need the rollover because you'll just have so much of a, a such a big limit if not in, in the 20s or 30s of gigabytes then just pure unlimited as it is for as it is for fibre broadband now.
1: All right, let's talk now about a story that got Ian all hot under the shirt. Um, oh, exactly. And I remember when you first made that noise. Um, I had to. I had to come. I had to call the police, didn't I? Because I was so so worried about what made you so excited. I I such an
2: unusual noise to hear out of someone who makes a living out of being
1: morose. Well, exactly, and the police agreed with me on that front. But the reason (laughs) was um, 4K this year yes we've had a lot of really interesting developments in britain in the 4k space whether that's planet earth 2 being made in ultra hd whether it's virgin 4k whether it's sky q rolling out more widely like there's a lot of stuff streaming obviously is a big deal like given that i've basically just said all those things can i get you to repeat those to me back and explain Mm. maybe why i used those examples
2: well, look. I mean, I, t- I tell you why you're right, and why this y- this year and last year was so significant for 4K. This is the first time we've seen. Um, uh, usually, the next generation of watching, you know, quality, that kind of stuff from, you know, be it 1080p HD from standard definition has been delivered uh, by usually by physical media um, and often by broadcast networks. And this time, what we've seen is that whole charge has been led by YouTube, uh, Netflix and Amazon Prime Video. That's where the majority of your 4K footage is going to have come from in 2016. Um, Sky has uh, started, I believe, and and, and BT uh, was the first to get going on 4K uh, football. So it, it's happened and it's going to continue to happen. We've seen the Planet Earth 2 trial uh, where people could watch some uh, footage on their TVs. And that's, and that's great and very exciting. Uh, but I think it's interesting to see how we've, we've basically realised that the internet is, a for a lot of people, again, going back to that thing about people not having good internet access, is becoming even more important that they do because so much stuff is coming first to uh, the internet. Uh, because we can send anything we want over the internet, it isn't. We don't require an expensive piece of. Well, we, apart from a computer, we don't require a you know a new TV, a new thing. We can just use what we've got uh, and get access to extremely good quality
1: stuff. Um, so it's 2017, Andy. I mean, is this the year of 4K going mainstream? I think so. We've got Sky launching Sky Q. We've got other
0: the Virgin boxes. A lot more ways that people can access the content, and that was always the, the problem last year. That every TV that was launched had four it was 4K, but yet, how do you get this? We didn't have 4K discs, and I mean, actually, it's still 4K physical
1: discs. Are, are they still really? They still make them. Yeah, there yeah. are some play, 4K Blu-ray players out there. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, and but, they're
2: very expensive. But they're also, I mean, oh, will always be the best quality way of getting
0: 4K yeah i suppose so but it's i think it's very interesting seeing more stuff that's being that's being produced uh that's being produced for 4k netflix have been doing a big push out and and i just think that's we're only going to see more of that and particularly again going back to the internet we're getting faster speeds that allow people to actually have it to give you a, a sort of an anecdote if you want one when i worked
2: uh, years and years ago back on top gear i remember the transition to ht and, and and they were like we can't do this it's too expensive it's like a whole other production so we would been basically paying twice as much to make the show and then i remember when the grand tour started on amazon prime they was you know there was A Q&A session uh with Andy Wilman the pr- producer and he said uh you know Amazon said to us from the start this has got to be HDR and it's got to be 4K off you go and you know that for them is quite a sea change it's like you know well we've got to produce this thing in the absolute best quality imaginable imaginable
1: whereas before we'd have just gone for the easy option it is it is interesting to me that the Grand Tour was shot in 4K and oh it's probably shot in 5K I'm guessing but it was certainly put out on Amazon Prime as as 4K but very little was made of of the fact that it was available in 4K like it's not really advertised as you know here's a great thing to watch in 4K because it was still relatively difficult to to watch it in 4K. The only way I managed it was because my Sony Smart TV, which, which is 4K, has an Amazon app built in, and well, I can watch it in 4K through that. But don't it- get me started on this because this is Amazon's big problem,
2: isn't it? Their, their ability to you know support hardware is actually absolutely atrocious, uh, and they make, their, they make a rod for their own back, really, because if you think about the simplicity of Netflix, that's why people like that service, don't they?
1: Yeah. Well, maybe 2017 will be the year that 4K becomes mainstream. I certainly don't think we're lacking in content that people actually want to watch globally, and certainly in the UK as well. So fingers crossed, I suppose. Well, let's get to one last story that we wanted to talk about. This this one comes from Andy, asked, what story got you very excited this year in in British tech? And he said that Apple will be moving into
0: Battersea Power Station for its new European HQ. Uh, Give me five reasons why. Okay, one, it's great to see that Apple is moving more heavily into the UK, um, particularly post-Brexit when people are despairing that tech firms are going to be moving to Berlin. Um, mm. Also, it's so that's great news for, for England. It's great news for London. Um, but it's also great news for Battersea Power Station itself, because this is a really, this is a truly iconic building. Those those four big chimneys, they are part of the protected skyline of London. So, so you can't get rid of those. And so for I think about over 30 years now, that building has been sitting idle really looking pretty and well not pretty really is it but looking dramatic on uh, on the on the banks of the Thames but no one's done anything with it so the idea of having apple in there doing something cool like apple does i mean let's let's we can look at the what the plans apple has for its spaceship campus in uh in california and only got to look at what it's done with its uh new regent street store or with covent garden to kind of see that well apple really cares about the look of its offices and how and how things are um how things are sort of approached aesthetically and you got to think well that's could be really interesting for Battersea. Yeah. I know that's not five, but I've got to the end of my points, and those really are the two main points.
1: Yeah, I mean there <laughs> are there are bonuses there. I mean, definitely the the area that it that it um, that the headquarters being built in is an area that really has been lacking in any for any kind of good reason for people to go there. You know, it's it's difficult to get to. It's There's not no a tube
0: station, and that is one of the factors that's been put in place that whoever develops the station needs to. Uh, if not put need to develop transport links, I think at one point there was an insistence that they have to put in a new tube stop there for is. it, but that would that would cost many 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 millions of pounds, which is why
1: previous companies have pulled out because they just haven't had the funds to do that well let's i mean let's let's be honest like this isn't Apple that is transforming this site, Apple is leasing huge amounts of it but it's a different company that's developing it you know so there'll be tons of shops around there Apple will be paying a fortune um, to do what it's doing but it's not it's not just Apple in this site there will be shops there will be flats Um, some of them have already been um, vouched for by celebrities there will be a tube station you know the northern line is going to extend down there so so it's great but it is certainly as you say with Apple's money with its need to have something much bigger like that is clearly a huge impetus to this to this project being being successful absolutely and apple having that having that power there will uh,
0: almost certainly be swaying the direction of some of the design and and of the of the architecture going in and the facilities that are around the area because it will be the the, the major tenants
1: presumably would you like to know my favorite fact about the Batsy power station go on because i wrote a few down as well oh did you yeah ian do you know what my favorite fact is about the Batsy power station um no tell me it was designed by Sir Giles Gilbert Scott, who also designed the red foam boxes uh, ah. that are oh so famous in London.
0: It was also it was bought by Alton Towers in the 80s with a view to turning it into a massive indoor
1: theme park. That would have been amazing. Would it, though? No, but it would have been fun <laughs> to see. Imagine that, a roller coaster going through the, the ins and outs of Battersea Power Station. Huge waste for the station because you could achieve the same sort of gravitational effect without the building being around the track but still yeah it does seem a bit of a waste Um, I could imagine turning it into a massive indoor skate park or or trampoline park would be quite fun it's a pain in the ass to get to no one is going to say okay I'm going to get three buses and walk for 15 minutes to go trampolining I did that when they opened uh, Oxygen Free Jumping in uh, East Acton Ian would you go trampolining in Battersea Um, you like to bounce I've seen you bounce I do Um, not always on purpose but I've seen it happen the kids have got a trampoline. It's in
2: the back garden. I don't need to go anywhere. I assume you're too large for that. Because if you jump on it, your
1: your son's just going to fly off into the stratosphere.
2: <laughs> if I get if I go on it on my own, it's okay. Uh, I it, I am technically over the weight limit for it, but it's fine. Do
1: You often go solo trampolining in, in no. your garden? None. No, no, probably for the best. Uh, I used to have a trampoline. Well, what a story! Sorry that that that's <laughs> that's a great anecdote. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> We are at the end of the show, and I just thought I would, I would leave it on a, on a high note. And, you know, it's a great way of getting high, bouncing there. Um, okay, well, that's going to do it for this week's special show. Firstly, thank you very much to Mr. Andrew Hoyle. Thank you for having me. And tell people where they can find you on the web of Inter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter with at
0: Battery HQ, um, or you can just Google Andrew Hoyle Cena and I'm sure I'll turn up
1: somewhere. Ian, it's been a pleasure to be in yes. your virtual presence for another 45 minutes. Uh, yeah,
2: exactly. Look, looking forward very much to uh, a 2017 together here on this show.
1: Me too. And that is a great segue for me to remind you that if you would like to have your feelings about the show heard, this is the last week you have to fill in our survey. It would mean the world to us if you could complete it. It's going to close next Sunday. So I think that is the 8th of January um, at around uh, about midnight London time. So you've got a few more days. There's a link in your MP3 file. There's a link if you go to Langson.com slash podcast, you can find it there. We would be grateful. And here's looking forward to another wonderful year talking about tech with you all on text message.